Welcome to the Serialized Short Story Podcast, Secrets Out, by Christopher Chapman. Secrets Out is performed by the author. You can pre-order Secrets Out as an ebook that will play on Kindle, Nook, Kobo, and any iDevice you can get your hands on by going to goingposalpublishing.com and clicking on the store link. Listener discretion is advised. There are adult situations, violence, and naughty words your mother wouldn't want you repeating to your neighbor. And now, the story continues. Hello and welcome to an all-new Going Postal Cast. This is The First Zombie, Part 1. How are all of you doing? Did you have a great Christmas? Or do you prefer to call it a great holiday? We gotta be so PC nowadays. I might as well call it that for now. I don't want to offend. Well, maybe I do. Well, it is good to be back at the podcasting helm. It has been a very interesting couple of weeks for me. I have been very busy. I've had computer issues. I've had all kinds of things go on. My Christmas was amazing. I was originally not supposed to have my kids for a full week or possibly even more, and my time away from them lasted a whole three days. I got my kids back sooner than expected. Things didn't work out where they were supposed to go, so it was a win-win for me. I got a great, great uh, Christmas, their Christmas break with them. I got to enjoy it thoroughly, so it has been a blast. We took the kids sledding and had all kinds of fun, And if you hear a buzzing in the background, that is my furnace. It is freaking cold out right now. I'm recording this on Saturday night. Right now it's about, I think, 3 or 4 degrees right now, and it's supposed to get down well below zero yet tonight, and it's going to be below zero for the next two days pretty much, so it is very cold. I got my heater cranked up, and it is not helping. I am sitting next to a large patio door that just seems to let everything through. But I'm not going to complain, well, more than I already have. So, it is time to just get into the story. When we are done with the story, I'm going to talk to you. It is the first episode of 2014, so I'm going to give the year in review and kind of a little preview of what's coming up in 2014. But first, you have the pleasure of listening to the first part of The First Zombie which you've already actually heard on this podcast. It was actually the very first story I recorded on this podcast, but I did it with a very bad microphone. It did not sound very good, and we've been kind of playing with the entire setup since then, and the story has been tweaked and edited, uh, tightened up slightly, and uh, what was a good story has become even better. So enjoy that for the next 23, 24 minutes, and I'll be back with that year in review. The First Zombie by Christopher Chapman I woke up dead this morning. I always knew that I would someday die. I just never thought that it would be my job that killed me. I'd always been told that when you die, you either went to heaven or hell. Now I know there is a third option. When I woke up this morning, I was surprised to find my finger lying next to me on my pillow. I knew it was mine because my wedding band was still on it. The gold glistened against the pale, dead skin of the finger. I panicked 
my head racing. I thought that somebody, maybe my wife, had somehow cut the finger off while I was sleeping. Horrified, I lifted my hand and saw the jagged skin where it appeared to have simply fallen off. There was no blood. The skin and bone where it had fallen off looked similar to that of a tree that had rotted from the inside out. I wondered what could have caused my finger to fall off. I frantically tried to recall something that could explain the horrific scene before me. I wondered if I'd slammed it in a door, killing the finger in the same manner a fingernail would fall off after stubbing it too hard. I couldn't think of anything until I remembered that something had touched my finger in that exact spot the day before. My heart raced, or it should have, but I no longer had a pulse. I checked my wrist, as well as my neck, but there was nothing. My heart had stopped. I attempted to take in a breath, but there was no need. I wasn't breathing at all. I was dead. How I'm writing this, I don't know. All I know is that I am no longer the man I was when I went to bed last night, and am less of the man that I woke up as this morning. I'm changing. I can feel it. What I'm changing into, I cannot honestly say. I have ideas, and I will get to them in good time. Perhaps my death is nothing more than my spirit moving on, and I'm like Bruce Willis in that one movie. Maybe this is all just a dream, and I'll soon wake up and feel relieved. It was hard keeping this from my wife. Stacy thought that I had some kind of weird flu that makes my body temperature drop instead of rise. You look so pale, she said to me as I hurried to hide the dismembered finger. I slid it into my pillowcase and turned to her holding the hand behind my back. Your skin is as white as I've ever seen it. She placed a hand against my cheek. Ooh, and so cold. How do you feel? I felt better, I said honestly. I saw no point in lying about that. I might be a little sick. She looked at me for a few seconds with an expression that could only be concern. Finally, she said, I think you should stay home from work today. You know that I can't do that, I told her, then moved towards the bathroom to find something to cover up the stump where my finger used to be. There was no way I was missing work, especially when I had the sneaking suspicion that there was something there that held the key to what had happened to me, and maybe how I could stop what was happening to me from progressing too far. I bandaged my hand and left the bathroom. I felt no urge to use the toilet, even after a full night of sleep. I realized that it had something to do with the condition I was in. A scent came from my lower extremities. How I could smell it without breathing, I do not know. It didn't take long before I realized that I'd pissed myself at some point throughout the night. I found Stacy fully dressed, ready to go to work. She gave me a hug and kissed me on the cheek. She backed away slowly. She looked more concerned than ever. I really wish you'd stay home and take it easy today, she said. You look awful. Wish I could, I lied. I also think your skin feels even cooler than it did before. If you start to feel any worse, please come home. I started to say something, but she cut me off. Promise me. I promise, I said, knowing that there was no way in hell I would do it. I wasn't coming home until I confirmed my theory or found a better explanation. 
She hugged me again. This time I sensed something different. I could hear something. It made a bum-bum, bum-bum sound. The sound filled my head. As she released me and backed away, the sound lessened. I became aware that the sound was coming from her. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but knew that I suddenly felt hungry. After she was gone, I tried to eat breakfast. I thought about cereal, but that wasn't very appealing. I looked in the fridge, hoping that something in there would spark my interest and get rid of my hunger pains. I looked at the leftover spaghetti and a bag of mozzarella. Neither thing said, eat me. I was about ready to give up when I saw the small package near the rear of the refrigerator, wrapped in cellophane. Hamburger. I grabbed the package and unwrapped the cellophane. I knew that I should have put it in a frying pan to cook it on the stove, but I couldn't wait. The hunger had become so intense that I thought I might actually pass out. I dipped a finger from my good hand into the raw meat, scooping out a small chunk of raw beef. I stuck the finger into my mouth, expecting it to taste horrible. It surprisingly didn't. It tasted as if I was eating a small piece of heaven. I wondered why I'd never eaten raw hamburger before. It tasted so damn good. I made short work of the hamburger, eating every last morsel of beef in less than five minutes. I went through several pieces of paper towel as I wiped away the tasty blood as it ran down my chin. Feeling better, I threw away the cellophane and styrofoam tray the hamburger came on and finished getting ready for work. Driving to work, I couldn't stop thinking about the realization that I was no longer among the living. I was dead. How long would it be before my body stopped working and I ceased to exist? The idea should have frightened me to death, but I was already dead. I tried to put the pieces of the puzzle together. I knew there was something that had caused this. I went through all of the possible scenarios in my mind, trying desperately to come up with the answer to my problem. I was almost to work when I realized that it could only be what my initial thought was. The black residue from the body, the same residue that had touched my finger. Until a week ago, I had been in South America as part of a crew investigating ancient ruins in the Amazon. Being an archaeologist was a dream job, something that I never could have believed I could have done when I was a child. I was part of a crew that excavated and studied the remains of any bodies found nearby. I was called to a site near Calcoin, Brazil. An ancient observatory, much like Stonehenge in Britain, was the site of the excavation. A series of 127 blocks of granite made up intrigue that was the site and the reason that other archaeologists had been examining the area for months. I was called to the scene as soon as the first body was discovered. So, what do you have? I asked as I approached the site. There was a large tented area covering a 20-foot-wide spread of land. Four bodies. Don Pike, one of the archaeologists in charge of the discovery, said, Some pretty interesting stuff here that I thought was right up your alley. I was skeptical. It wasn't uncommon for me to get a call to a random site in which a body or series of bodies were discovered. Most of the time, I was called to a place within the lower 48 states. Not in this case. I was called in the early morning with orders to be in Brazil by nightfall. 
It was a miracle that I made it in time. After just three hours of sleep, I was off to the site and all of my skepticism was immediately cast aside. Three armed guards formed a triangle around the tent. That was not normal when bodies were discovered. This had the feel that it was far more important than anything else I'd been a part of. I was worried about what I was going to be involved with. In here, Don said, walking past the closest guard. For a brief moment, I thought the guard was going to ask me for identification. He raised his gun to a 45-degree angle to slow me, but Don waved him off with a flick of his wrist. Don't be a fool. He's with me. Underneath the tent, there was a large hole in the ground. That was normal in the archaeology world. I walked to the edge and looked in. The hole was approximately seven feet deep, but it was hard to tell due to the tent overhead, casting the bottom of the hole in dark shadow. Don flipped a switch, causing the tent to fill with light. My mouth dropped open. I couldn't believe what I saw in front of me. Looking into the hole, I saw the bones of four people. Looking at the bones, I was able to immediately determine that they were old. When I say old, I really mean ancient. I studied the local culture while on the plane. I'd learned a great deal about the area since its discovery back in 2006, including the idea that it may have been as much as 2,000 years old. Looking at the bodies, I knew that they were likely at least that old and in decent shape. Being buried in the ground for that long was not good for human skeletons, but these looked as if they stood the test of time very well. Each of the four bodies looked as if they had been lying in the same position when they died, each carrying a spear in their right hands that looked to be in as good of shape as the bones. This is incredible, I said, feeling like a kid in a candy store. I've never seen anything like this, at least not in this condition. Don looked into the hole for a second then looked back at me with a smile that seemed to grow with every passing second. I know that you think that this is impressive, he said, but it isn't the reason why you were called. Man, I have something to show you. Off to our left was a small ladder that dropped down into the hole. Don led the way, moving down the ladder and then towards the bodies. I followed, excited to know what could be more exciting than what he had already showed me. I would soon find out. After we made our initial discovery five days ago, we were perplexed by the way the bodies were positioned, Don said. Do you see anything interesting in the way they are set up? Yeah, there are four of them, each on opposite sides, and they're carrying spears, I said, describing what I saw as best I could. It's as if they were guarding something. I looked around the rest of the hole. I saw nothing. I'm not sure what they... I trailed off, seeing the bigger picture. The bodies were positioned on opposite sides of each other, just as I'd already mentioned. What I had failed to notice initially was the amount of space that was between them. They were guarding something, all right. The item they were guarding must have been between them. What did you find? I asked Don with excitement filling me. Don asked, You can't see it? And I thought you were supposed to be one of the best. I looked between the bodies again, trying to figure out what he was talking about. I walked closer, moving between the bodies. I could see a series of footprints in the sand, all moving towards a central area. Suddenly, the prints were gone. It took a moment for my eyes to adjust, 
but I finally saw what Don was trying to point out to me. The sand had become rock. The rock looked as if it had been moved recently. I turned to ask Don for a crowbar, but he was already holding one out for me. He held another one in his hand. I smiled, taking the crowbar from him. I've never claimed to be smart when it comes to understanding the facial expressions and actions of people who are living, but I felt as if I could read Don like a book. He wanted me to see what was underneath the rock. He needed me to see what they had found. We slammed the tips of the crowbars into small seams in the rock. We silently counted to three and pressed down on the bars, causing the rock to lift out of the hole. With the rock as high as it could go, Don moved and grabbed hold of it, pushing it to the side. How he didn't get his finger slammed in between, I will never know. Even before I looked inside, I knew what I'd find. Most archaeologists are excited when they find treasure in sites such as the one we were in. But they called me, meaning that this discovery had something to do with a body, and not the ones I'd already seen. I stared inside where the rock had been, not believing what I was looking at. If the body surrounding it were 2,000 years old, that must have made this body even older. That was impossible. The body looked as if it had been in the ground for less than six months, and kept in nearly perfect condition. There shouldn't have been anything but mummified remains inside, but that was far from reality. I was looking at a man of approximately 30 years of age. Other than a small amount of skin rot, he was in perfect condition. What the hell? I asked, not really able to believe what I was looking at. I thought the same thing, Don said, placing a hand on my shoulder. This is probably the single greatest discovery in the history of man. A near-perfectly preserved body that has to be hundreds of years old. Try thousands, I said. If it's as old as the skeleton surrounding it, it has to be thousands. My mind snapped back to the present. I had been so focused on what had happened the week before that I momentarily took my eyes off the road and nearly slammed into another car. I had to remain focused. I arrived at the lab less than ten minutes later, quickly walking to the storage unit and retrieving the body. I removed the body from the layers of protection we provided to keep it preserved while we performed our tests on it. I wasn't at all surprised to find it in the exact shape I left it the day before. I found it strange that even though the body had been exposed to air for the first time in over two thousand years, there was still no additional deterioration to the skin. It was perfectly mummified, but mummification would have its share of deterioration over time if not properly dried out, similar to the process that the ancient Egyptians used when they mummified their pharaohs. The body before me exhibited none of the classic signs of proper mummification. In fact, there was evidence that there may still have been blood in the system. Well, not blood exactly, and that was what I had come to the lab to check out. I wheeled the cart with the body towards the center of the room, where most of our observation equipment was housed. I turned on the posable lights and positioned them in the appropriate spot so I could get a better look at what I needed to. It was just yesterday when I first discovered that there was something still within the body. Like most of the time when I'm examining corpses, I was all alone. I liked it that way. I loved to do my work with a pair of earbuds in my ear playing some of my favorite songs while I made my observation and spoke about them into the portable microphone located on the cart of instruments. 
I knew there was something particularly strange about this body from the very first time I laid eyes on it. There was no way that a body this old could possibly be in as good of shape as it was. The second thing I noticed was perhaps the first thing I should have noticed. The only similarity I found between the ancient Egyptians and this body were the four bodies that surrounded it. There had been some cases where the pharaohs had been guarded by some of their courageous and loyal soldiers. That's where the similarities ended. First off, this body was discovered on the wrong continent. Then, looking at the way the bones were positioned, I was more under the impression that they weren't guarding the crypt from intruders. It almost seemed as if they were trying to prevent whatever was within the crypt from getting out. My first question was why they would do that. What was the need for something such as that? I'd already had a decent understanding of many cultures located in the Amazon. I'd never read or heard anything about a belief in the dead needing to be guarded for any reason. This was unlike anything I'd ever read, or heard lectures on. I unwrapped the bandages, unveiling the hand that was a finger short. I stared at where my finger should be. The skin around it had turned black and seemed to be spreading. The skin was no longer flesh color. The color was darker, more resembling the body in front of me than what I was accustomed to. Dark veins ran from where the finger had been back towards my wrist. I determined that I had some sort of disease. How the disease was spreading when I no longer had a heartbeat was beyond anything that I knew. How I was still thinking while having no heartbeat was another mystery that I had no answer to but suspected that the body before me held some of the answers. I thought about putting on some gloves, but thought, why should I? I'd worn them the day before, and they did me absolutely no good. It mattered little whether I wore gloves or not. Wearing a mask was something of little importance today as well. Protocol had gone completely out the window. I bent over looking for the area where I had made the small incision yesterday when I initially discovered the blood-like substance. I couldn't find the spot. I looked more closely, trying to find the spot where there should have been a cut. There wasn't. In its place was a small scar that was almost the exact length of the incision. I stared for a long time. Could the skin of the man that had been dead for over 2,000 years really repair itself? No. Of course not. That was impossible, and I knew it. Yet, after everything I'd experienced already today, I knew that anything was possible. I moved to the audio recorder, rewinding it by almost a minute to make sure that I really had made the cut I believed I had. I listened carefully as my voice echoed out of the tiny device. Sure enough, it had happened, which meant that my deepest fears were real. That black residue was a likely suspect in what had caused this to happen to me. I'd made the incision on the right shoulder of the mummified corpse, not knowing what to expect. I held a small plastic dish underneath the incision, trying to catch anything that may have come out. I knew by the weight of the body that there was still some bodily fluids contained within, or what was supposed to remain of them. I'd never known a body to still have blood after so many years so I didn't know what to expect. I still think that the residue that flowed slowly from the body was blood, just not the kind we're accustomed to. Instead of the traditional red, which is made that way by oxidation, this was pitch black, resembling oil. 
The black goo slowly dripped from the incision to the dish below. I wanted to get a small sample to examine underneath the microscope, but I made a mistake. A small amount landed on my rubber glove, right about where my left ring finger was. It wasn't much, and I didn't think much of it. I was still working when I smelled something strange. I recognized the scent as something a chemical would make when it was burning. The chemical happened to be the material my glove was made out of. I saw that my glove was melting. Within seconds, I felt the area burn, as if it were alcohol on an open wound. In the shock, I dropped the dish. It slammed against the concrete floor below, spilling its contents. Temporarily forgetting about the burning sensation, I tried to rescue some of the black goo. I dropped to my knees, trying desperately to save some from being contaminated. It was useless. At least I had been smart enough to use instruments, rather than my hands. That would have been horrifying if I'd woken up this morning and my hands were lying on the pillow, instead of my finger. Abandoning the goo, I turned my attention to removing the gloves. I could feel my hand burning and needed to get them off so I could clean them. I removed my mask and smelled the awful scent that the goo produced. I felt my stomach lurch with every breath. I ran to the sink just as I got the last glove off, placing my hands underneath the water. The sting wouldn't go away, at least not immediately. I kept rubbing the spot where the goo had burned through and kept water on it until I felt better. That was the last time I thought about it until this morning when I saw that finger on my pillow. I didn't really know what I would find by examining the body a second time. I thought that there may have been something that I had missed, some answer to why my finger had simply rotted off my body, and now I didn't know if I was really dead or not. The lack of pulse was a good indicator, but I believe there had to be a better answer. Jim, I heard a voice call from behind me. What's going on? I turned in time to see Ben Soder enter the lab. There you have it. That was part one of the first zombie part of the Secrets Out short story collection that you can get as a pre-order through goingpostalpublishing.com. Perhaps some of you have already seen that you've received an email with the first two stories in it. Those of you who have pre-ordered, I gave you a little bit of a early surprise. I sent you your very own personalized ebook with the first two stories in it. Okay, so you haven't gotten it quite yet, but by the time this airs, you will have gotten it, and you will be surprised. Very, very surprised. And those of you who wish to pre-order will get that very same early preview of the entire book. You'll get the first two stories, plus you'll still get the second version of Grandpa's Secret. And from time to time, you might just get a updated version of that ebook. Just my little way of saying thank you and not wanting you to wait until the very end. But enough about me pimping that. It's time to talk about the urine review. And there's not an, a ton to talk about. It was kind of a quieter year because of the fiasco with Daddy's Little Girl. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit because I know I've gotten a question or two about that. So I need to kind of elaborate on a few things. Okay, so urine review basically is... We had incarceration at the beginning. We were going through that. We finished incarceration. 
it sold decent. It's been it was actually a slightly better year in 2013 than it was in 2012. But then again, there was a full year as opposed to three or four months. The podcast grew in listenership, which I appreciated. Kind of fell off a little bit because of the large gap with Daddy's Little Girl being canceled and there was no podcast, but that's to be expected. I kind of dropped the ball there by not going on to the podcast, releasing an episode and explaining everything as I probably should have, but hindsight is always 2020, and I kind of had a lot going on trying to get this project together, the secrets out together, and trying to just get this final product out, but I did drop the ball. I should have said something, come on the podcast, and posted more than just what I did in the blogs and on the website. Of course, Daddy's Little Girl was canceled. That was supposed to come out in uh, late July, early August. It was canceled. I've already talked about it a couple of times. It was canceled because of the material contained within. I just felt it was in bad taste to release that story. But those of you who did pre-order have received your copy. So there are very few copies of Daddy's Little Girl in existence. Of course, if the ebook is out there, there's a few of them. Well, they can probably be copied and moved around. I'm not exactly going to stop it, but it is out there, and there are a few trade paperbacks out there as well, but not too many. I did honor those pre-orders. I'm never going to screw somebody over on a pre-order, so I made sure those people who ordered it got it, and... But that's really no big deal when you think about the grand scheme of things. Of course, we've come back recently with Secrets Out. That is the next project. That is the short story collection that I have put together. And things are coming along nicely with that. I am editing. I've edited all of the stories. I am now just recording them. And as I record them, I'm doing the final tweaks on each manuscript. The first two are completely done, and then I'll be going on to the next ones. Got a little busy during the holiday season, but I am back and working on it. I have gotten a lot of work done, even with some computer issues, but that is what I do. I promised last year that we would have some additions to Going Postal Publishing, and that sort of happened. Samantha came on board and has been helping out with some of the the behind-the-scenes things. She posted for a little while on the Facebook page, but has kind of taken a little bit of a backseat there while she works on her own projects that I've actually been assisting her with. She is a crafter who loves the crafting and has been trying to get her own small business off the ground, and I've been helping her with that, so... Good luck to her on that, and but she'll still be helping out from time to time and making sure that I keep my, my nose clean, I guess, and making sure that my focus is where it needs to be. A second podcast was added to the Going Postal Publishing or Media, however you want to put it, family. The Naked Bootleg podcast was added. I have been co-hosting that with Drew Hall. It was an idea we've had for a couple of years after my football card podcast uh, disappeared a few years back. We'd talked about doing it back then, and recently he came back to me and said, hey, why don't we do this? The time is right, and I agreed, and I've been handling all of the production with it, as well as 
doing the co-hosting, which is kind of a lot of work when you really think about it, trying to make sure you get at least decent production values, as well as trying to come up with good material to talk about. It's a lot to keep your, your eyes and your mind on in a short amount of time. There were plans in the past year to bring on a second author, and that fell through because, unfortunately, despite the handshake agreement that I had with him, it kind of fell through because this person was a little bit distracted. We had talked about getting together and working on some projects, but when we were going to do more of a media-type thing, we had talked about doing some video games, and I had told you previously about I had been hired to write a video game, and yeah, that didn't quite work out because of some very disorganized, uh, I guess that would be a kind word for it. Basically, I started writing the video game, and then the project became something different, and so I switched gears and started working on that, and as soon as I started working on that, then it became something else entirely. By the time it was all said and done, I think I was supposed to work on a video game that was based on a music video for the Imagination Dragons. So, yeah, it kind of got screwy, and eventually I just kind of faded into obscurity with that one. It was a handshake agreement, and no matter how much I was working on, it. I just didn't feel as if the project was actually going to go anywhere. And the second author who was going to come on board and do that, he's kind of going to be doing his own thing for a while. No hard feelings between me and him. He is still a good friend, and I wish him nothing but the best, but I really need to stay focused instead of switching the projects every couple of weeks. So, now it's time to talk about what to expect in 2014. Of course, Secrets Out is going to be the print versions, as well as the ebooks, the final ebooks, will be out in 2014. I'm hoping to have the print version as well as the ebooks done in the next two to three months, and they're going to look shiny and they're going to look awesome. But I'm not going to stop there. There is also going to be a novel coming out this year. I am aiming for a September release on a football story. Now, that is just the working title. I have the idea for what the book is going to be called, but I have not told anybody. Not even my girlfriend. Not anybody. But you will be the first to know as soon as I decide to unveil it, and that'll probably happen about the time that I release the cover art, which I have just started working on. Now, the one thing I haven't really talked about lately is writing. Now, yeah, I'm an author, but for some reason I don't talk a lot about the actual writing. Yeah, 2013 was not a great year for getting a lot of writing done because of the distractions and the trying to get Daddy's Little Girl out only to then switch to trying to go to Secrets Out it was a lot of editing as opposed to actually working on writing. The only novel I believe that I wrote in 2013 was the third Death Has Come novel, but that's going to be far different in 2014. 
Now, I'm not going to be getting a lot of writing done towards the first part of the year. I have a ton of editing that needs to be done towards the first part of this year, but the second part of the year, I'm actually planning on writing three novels in the second part of the year while I edit the school. My problem is, I have way too many ideas and not enough time to do actual writing. That's what happens when you have a full-time job, four kids, a girlfriend, and a billion household chores that need to be done. But you know what? In the end, it's all worth it. I also have some other things that I have in mind, but they are going to be kept somewhat secret for right now. I have, I'm always coming up with ideas on how to move this little project of ours along, but I don't want to be the kind of guy that promises something and then it gets delayed and it gets delayed. I'm a busy man, so I cannot follow through with every little thing just because of my time, but I am going to do the best I can, and I am going to get these ideas out to you as quickly as I can and do it right. So, to wrap things up, from 2013, I thank you the listener, and the reader for making it successful for me and for making me feel as if the work I put in, all of the time I put in, was worth it. I do it for you guys, for my family. As far as 2014 goes, I hope all of you come along for the ride. This has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of work. But 2014, I feel as if it's going to be a very good year. I really think you're going going to enjoy the stories from Secrets Out, and I really, if you like football, even if you don't like the Naked Bootleg Football Podcast, which I'm a part of, I think you're really going to enjoy the football story that I've written. I think it's really good, and I think it's going to be something that many people can enjoy. It's not horror, so you can kind of, you don't have to worry about people's heads getting chopped off or, you know, bones sticking out of every orifice. It's just a very good football story. So, it's time to wrap things up. And I've talked a lot today. You've had a longer episode because of my rambling, so I'm going to make this extremely quick. If you want more information about this or anything else, please go to goingpostalpublishing.com. You can email me at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. And you can check me out on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. A lot of the links are right on the website. You can just go there, check it out. I'm going to leave it at that for this week. I'll be back next week with yet another episode of The First Zombie. So you all take care. I will see you all next week. Take care. And bye-bye. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing. 